0: I'm grateful for the opportunity to be with you this morning to share God's Word with you. Today we're going to look at the topic of caring for the poor. And now you might be thinking, "Ah, the missionary preacher is going to make us feel guilty. That's actually not my goal this morning. So don't worry. Caring for the poor has unfortunately become a controversial topic in the American church today. We are very polarized. We have some of us who we criticize other Christians saying that they focus only on evangelism and they don't care about poverty and injustice. And then some of us are quick to criticize other Christians and say they seem to be distracted from the true gospel because they're always talking about poverty and justice. Today, we are looking at caring for the poor. But today we are looking at the good news of the gospel. Both are important, but it's not about trying to balance the two. Rather, we're going to look at how the two are intimately connected according to the Bible. And we need to understand the order of that connection. So listen to God's word today from 1 John chapter 3. This was written thousands of years ago, before all of our polarization. But let God speak to you freshly through his word this morning. Chapter 3, 1 John, starting at verse 11, going up to verse 20. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteousness. Were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer Has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions. And in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. This is the Word of the Lord. In this book of 1 John, John gives a few different ways to identify true Christians based on what they believe or based on how they live. He keeps saying things like, true Christians will do X, Y, Z. This is how you know you're in Christ. You'll believe this. You'll do this. And in the passage that we have just read, John gives us another way to test ourselves. He says that true Christians are those that love one another. I have three main points we're going to look at from this text. My first point is that Christ's sacrifice for us leads us to sacrifice for others. Christ's love for us transforms us so that we love others. Let's look again at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus died for us to reconcile us to God. And this is what gives us our definition of love, according to John. So it's not about balancing preaching the gospel and loving the poor. That's not how it works. The gospel comes first. It is primary. And for John, caring for the poor is one of the results of being transformed by the gospel. The good news of the gospel is what fuels our love for other people. God came to us first in Christ. First we hear the good news of the gospel and we are reconciled to God. And this naturally leads us to be people who will have compassion on others. Think about what Jesus has done for us. We've been talking about it throughout the service today. He laid down his life for us. He lived the perfect life that we were not able to live. He was sacrificed for us. He took the wrath of God for our sin. We are justified by faith in him. We are given his righteousness as a gift. We are born again. We are regenerated. We are given a new heart. We are given the Holy Spirit to live in us. We are new creatures. If you go back to verse 14, John says that we are people who have passed from death to life. We were spiritually dead, but now we are alive in Christ. When you go from death to life, you don't remain the same. We are changed. We become people who want to praise God and want to obey him. We become people who actually truly love other people. And why do we love other people? Because we are overjoyed at God's love for us, which then spills out to other people. God loves us we can't help but also loving other people. We know that God loved us in spite of our sins, and so we also love others despite their, their faults. We care for others. We don't feel superior to them because we know it was God who saved us, not me, myself. We didn't deserve God's love, but he loved us anyway. So we don't feel proud. We don't feel better than others. We know our own sins, and so we care for others. After experiencing the mercy of God upon us, we naturally want other people to also experience that same mercy in Christ, to know God's forgiveness and love. And we naturally want others to be helped in their times of challenges and suffering in their daily lives. In verse 16, it says that we lay down our lives for others, and we look at our Savior to see how he laid his life down for us. This is why Christians throughout history have given up their comfortable lives to care for other people, whether it's through visiting people in nursing homes and hospitals to cheer up those who are lonely, whether it's the the reason people have for caring for children or for adopting children. This is why Christians have fought against racism and all other kinds of injustices in this world, and many people have lost their lives to do so. This is why Christians throughout history have traveled to distant nations like you have here on the, on the world map, traveled to distant places, risking shipwreck, dying from malaria, so that people could hear the good news of the gospel and come to know Christ and his love. So the gospel comes first, but being born again in Christ will always result in love and care for other people. It has to be the result of a true experience of going from death to life. For us who are already born again, when we think about what Christ has done for us, when we praise him for what he has done for us, as we keep on thinking about it, that is what will continually refresh our desire to sacrifice for others and love one another. My second point this morning is that we love one another, especially through caring for the poor. We love one another, especially through caring for the poor. John said that we would lay down our lives for other people. For most of us, we are not really going to face a time where we actually have to literally die for each other. Maybe some of us, but most of us will not need to do that. But John knew that we still need to do that in a different way on a daily basis. We still sacrifice for other people on a daily basis, even if it's not the cost of our life. And he gets this, we get this in verses 17 and 18. So let me read those verses again. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. True Christians will have compassion on the poor. Now John doesn't say all the specific things that we need to do. He doesn't give a whole teaching on on poverty, but it's implied that we will be people who will help to meet the physical needs of others, and we will be people who will give generously. Christians will love in truth by preaching the good news of the gospel, but also love in actions, by caring for people in their needs. In this passage, John is focusing on caring for other Christians who are in need, because he's talking about a brother in need. Now we know from the rest of the Bible that we are supposed to care for and help everyone, not only Christians, but We get a teaching here and in other passages of Scripture that we have a special responsibility, a first priority to care for each other in the church, especially the local church. So as we think about this topic today, think local first. We need to think about the ends of the earth also, but think local first. How are you caring for people in your own local church? How are you loving them? Would materially poor people feel comfortable visiting your church? Think about your neighborhood. Think about your city. Helping people might mean welcoming the refugee family that that moves in, driving them around, showing them where where to do this, where to do that. Helping people in this community might mean tutoring in the local school. It might mean befriending a homeless person, having a real relationship, an ongoing friendship where you're inviting them over, you're spending time talking. It might mean babysitting for a single mother in your neighborhood. And it might mean giving financially to outreach programs in this city that work with materially poor people. So we can begin thinking locally first, but then we can think about the ends of the earth as well. And we can especially think, there's many needs around the world, but John is is calling us to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what about our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world? In Uganda, where we come from, there are pastors who are thirsting for Bible college. They want to be trained, but they don't have the resources to be able to go to Bible college. There are other people, many of our friends, who struggle to get enough money to pay for the school fees for their children, for what they call primary school, secondary school, so that would be elementary school here, and middle school, high school. And sometimes they will, even our friends, they'll sell so much of their food that they grew in their farm that to to pay for those school fees that they'll run out of food eventually, and then they don't know what to do. The food has gone out because they did not save enough of their harvest because of those expensive school fees. There are people who need medical operations in Uganda who can't afford it. Sometimes the hospitals don't have the resources that people need to get the operations that they need. Sometimes the hospitals are filled with corrupt staff. And they're demanding bribes from the people in order to get the operations that they need. And people don't have the money for that. So sometimes they just go without. This is just a few examples of the vast needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ in different countries around the world. And there are many ways and opportunities to give generously. There's a problem that we sometimes have that we need to face. And this problem is that sometimes we aren't aware of the specific needs in places like Africa or even the specific needs in our city or the specific needs of people in our local church. Why is this happening? Sometimes we don't see people. I want to look at this word see in verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need. Sometimes the problem is that we don't see When we see someone face-to-face who is in need, most of us, because of the love we have in Christ, most of us, we're quick to show compassion when we see that person face-to-face. But sometimes our lifestyles or the choices that we make can make it harder to see others. In Uganda, I'm using this just as an example, Sarah and I get requests nearly every day genuine requests from pastors, from friends, or from strangers asking for financial support or for food because of real problems and challenges in their lives. And it can be depressing for us to think about all those challenges that people are going through, our friends. It can be stressful for us also to think about what is the best way for us to to respond, what should we do. My point is that if you are friends with the poor, you will, you will see them naturally, but you can avoid seeing when you don't know poor people. Please understand, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying that we all need to move to Uganda, please, no. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm trying to help us understand that when something is out of sight, it's out of mind. So for us, it's in our face all the time. For you, we may need to reflect on who do we see and who are we not seeing. Thinking about poverty tends to make us depressed, so we might avoid trying to see it. We might feel helpless to change the situation. We'd rather not think about it. We might not want to read books or watch documentaries about what people are suffering around the world or in our city. We may choose to walk or drive on the streets where we won't see a beggar. I confess, I've done that many times myself. We may choose to move to a new neighborhood where there aren't so many materially poor people. So take time to reflect. If you find that you don't see poor people, why is that? Or if you don't hear about them around the world, what can we change? How can we find out who might be struggling in our church that we don't know? Maybe there's a family that's in need in our church and we're not aware. How can we see? How can we find out? How can we be aware of what's happening in other countries? How can we be aware of what organizations and churches are doing to help in other countries? As we keep on seeing and we keep on hearing and we learn of these situations where people are in need, it can also help us to reflect on the deeper causes of poverty. Once you keep seeing people in need over and over, you begin to ask, why is this person, why is this nation continually in need? And you begin to investigate. And you say, maybe is there some pattern of sinful behavior that's keeping these people in poverty? Are there false beliefs that these people have that are keeping them in poverty? Are there broken policies or systems that are keeping people in poverty? Are there injustices like corrupt leaders that we need to work against? Are there government or trade policies that need to be adjusted? Remember, the idea is not to feel pressured by guilt. We should want to see, we should want to understand, we should want to think about the causes of poverty because of our love, because we love people, so we want to find out and we want to help. It's because of the love we have experienced in Christ that will make us look, that will make us see, that will make us investigate. Let me share a story with you to to encourage us. One of the training programs we mentioned was Timothy Leadership Training. And in that training, this was some years ago already, there was a pastor, Otto Dennis, and he was very touched by learning about God's love for his people. And that, reflecting on the good news of the gospel and God's love for him, touched him and made him want to go out and help others, and so he made a plan to show love to elderly people in the village community near him. So Dennis, he visited several struggling elderly people who were in in desperate situations, and he prayed for them, he shared with them the good news of the gospel and Christ, and he gave them some things. He gave them food, he gave them soap, um, you know, just simple things like rice and beans, that kind of thing. And several people that he visited got saved. Even one was a a widow who was a Muslim. Uh, Another elderly woman, he fixed up her her compound, which was, they call it bushy. It was like uh, it needed to be cleaned. He fixed up her, her hut. And the cool thing was that as... He cared for these elderly people. Other people in the community were seeing what he was doing, and they were wondering, why is this person caring for these people? And they were touched, and some of them came and and talked to him. And in the end, about 10 people came to know Christ as their Savior, and it resulted in a new church being planted in that area, starting with those people. And now they're worshiping today still. It was several years ago. They're continuing to worship uh, together today. I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and now this church is continuing to grow, and this church is also caring for widows and needy people in their area. So you can see again what we said. The gospel came first. Otto, Dennis, was overjoyed again at the goodness and love of God in Christ, and that spurred in him, thinking about God's love for him, spurred compassion in him so that he also wanted to show compassion to the elderly in the other community. And the result of that was other people taking interest, and they ended up hearing the gospel and coming to know Christ. And now again, this church is caring for other people with their physical need. So the love we experience in Christ overflows to other people, which also attracts people again to Christ, and it just keeps on going and producing fruit and producing change. So we need to follow Christ's example and care for the poor. Now, poverty is a very complicated subject. I'm not going to try to give a long teaching about it this morning, but I encourage you to read the book I mentioned, When Helping Hurts. It's a very good book about preaching the gospel and helping people holistically with their material poverty. We need to care for the poor holistically. We need to preach the good news of salvation, as we also help with people's physical needs. And sometimes it's not about giving money. Giving money is a good Good thing to do, but sometimes it's more important even to have a relationship with a person. To identify someone's gifts, to encourage them. We need to take up our cross to love others, even people who don't deserve it. Loving the materially poor, being in relationship with them. It's easier sometimes to sacrifice our money, but we also need to sacrifice our comfort, our time, That is the harder thing for me, but sacrificing our comfort and our time to spend time with people who are poor to really walk with them. The love of Jesus calls us to do that. My third point this morning, and last point, is that loving others is part of the evidence that we belong to Christ, and it is one of the ways that God reassures us of our salvation in Christ. Let's look again what John says. In verse 14, he states this idea positively. He says that we know we have passed from death to life because, why? We love our brothers. In verse 15, he states it negatively. He says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and there's no eternal life in him. So if you have hate instead of love, you don't have the evidence of eternal life. Verse 17 states it negatively again. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And the implied answer is, it can't be. And then verse 19, he states it positively again. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. So, there's many many times through this passage, John is trying to say, this is how you know that you have really been changed. You've gone from death to life. You are a new person in Christ. You become someone who loves others, especially the poor. Now, don't misunderstand. John is not saying that you become saved by caring for the poor. No, that can't work. You can't give away all that you have and work against injustice and then say, somehow God is going to accept me. No, it's only in Christ by his grace that we are saved. It's just that the result of that salvation will be that we will become someone who cares for others. You've known God's love and you will love others. This is supposed to assure us and it's supposed to comfort us that yes, I have someone who has been changed by Christ. I am in Christ. He has changed me. It's supposed to assure you and uh, comfort you. In our Reformed Confessions, we have the same teaching. In the Canons of Dort, the first point, the Article 12, it talks about having assurance of our salvation. How do we get that assurance? Through seeing the fruits of the Christian life in ourselves. Fruits such as our love for other people. It's saying that as we see the fruits of the Christian life in ourselves— It assures us that we are in Christ and he is working in our lives. The canons also say that seeing these fruits fills us with spiritual joy and holy delight. So as I see my love for other people, it gives me spiritual joy and holy delight. But this is not proud delight. It's not saying, look at how great I am, all the ways I'm caring for the poor. No. No. It's an inward joy, not a proud joy, but an inward joy at saying, Wow, God, look at how you've changed my life. I like to think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the greedy tax collector who experiences God's grace in Christ when Jesus comes to him first. And then he suddenly shouts out, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus, when he said that, he was not trying to be proud, he was not trying to get attention for his generosity, but it was grace that changed him, and he is surprising himself at how he had changed because of Christ. This is assurance that truly you've been saved and changed in Christ, and you praise God for the transformation he has done in your life. But what if you don't feel this Assurance. What if you're wondering about whether or not Christ has truly changed your life? Wonder, maybe some of you are wondering whether or not you are truly saved, whether you're in Christ. If this is you, and you're not sure, do I know Christ personally or not? Maybe you've been in church many years, but you're still wrestling with this question. I would love to talk to you after the service about that. The pastor, Peter, would love to talk to you about that. If you have any question about your relationship with Christ and how to know him personally, please talk to us. There are others of us here today, others of us here this morning, who know that we belong to Jesus and we don't doubt that. But we hear what John is saying about the poor and it still doesn't give us much assurance about our salvation, as I've been talking about. Maybe it actually even gives us some doubts because we feel guilty that we aren't doing enough. You're not alone. If I look at my life, probably I'm helping people now more than I have in the past, but the more I help, the more guilty I sometimes feel that I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. I should be spending more time with people. I should be preaching the gospel more. I should be witnessing to the people sitting next to me on the airplane about Christ. You know, there's so many things that come into our mind we say we're not doing enough. And so we read these words, and John is saying we're supposed to be assured, and yet we don't feel that assurance sometimes. John has hopeful words for us as well when we feel this way. If we look at verses 19 through 22. These verses here at the end of that passage, 19 to 22, are quite confusing In the original Greek language, there's different interpretations, but most of the commentaries agree that John is offering reassurance to us when we feel like I just said, when we feel like we're not doing enough. He's saying that God is greater than our hearts, even when our hearts condemn us. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Our hearts condemn us when we feel like we're not doing enough. We look at our love for other people and we recognize that it's not a perfect love. But God is greater than our conscience. He brings peace to our hearts. He knows everything. He knows that we are people who are trying to love others even though we don't do it perfectly. He knows that we are trying. He knows that we have changed, but we are not yet perfect. He knows that we have changed because of Christ, but we are not yet perfect. And God assures us that it's ultimately not about us. It's not about us. Remember, we are saved wholly and fully by God's grace to us in Christ. We are justified by faith. His work of salvation is greater than the doubts of our hearts. In the end, we all feel like we haven't done enough. And we haven't. It's impossible for us to do enough. Only Jesus did enough. Only Jesus loved people perfectly. And it's his righteousness that saves us so we can rest in his presence. That's why in verses 21 and 22, John says that we can approach God's throne with confidence because it's about what Christ has done for us. If our hearts condemn us, God is not finished with us. We need to trust him that he is still working out his plan of sanctification in our lives. Even right now, as, as you listen to this message, God is doing a new work in us today to continually transform us, to rejoice more and more in his love and to make us people who show love and compassion to others. So go out this week rejoicing and praising God for what he has done for us in Christ, and as a response to that great love, love other people, love the poor, love your brothers and sisters in this church, and that love will keep on having an effect and keep on resulting in more and more people coming to know Christ and more and more people being helped. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son for our salvation. Thank you for the mercy you've poured out upon us. We were truly spiritually dead and separated from you, and we did not deserve your love, and yet you gave us that love anyway. And you brought us to life and salvation and relationship with you, you made us your children. And you're our Heavenly Father. We thank you for that love. Lord, we are reminded today that your love does not leave us the same, but we become different people, people who love others, people who sacrifice for others, people who lay down our lives for others. More and more, Lord, work out that in our lives. Make us the people that you want us to be. Lord, I ask that you would bless this church. We thank you for your people in this church. Thank you for their generosity. Thank you for their love for the poor. Thank you for their love of the gospel and their support of missionaries. Continue to use them in mighty ways as they care for one another in this church, as they reach out to the city, and as they support your work around the world and support their brothers and sisters around the world Continue to use them as you have been doing and use them more and more. Provide for them and bless them. Empower them by your Holy Spirit. Continue to fill them up with your love so that more and more people experience that love in this place and around the world. We thank you. We commit ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.